Good morning. So was there a wedding this weekend? A Friday, maybe? Do you all know anything about that? I'd actually not planned on knowing anything about any royal weddings until I uh, came home from dropping, dropping Tyler off at school, and I had three princesses watching the computer and seeing um, William and Kate get married. And it was actually it was, it was quite fascinating and interesting. And the fact of the matter is, everybody in the world almost thought it was fascinating and interesting. One million people, can you believe this, one million people came to London to watch it probably on television or in, on a sign in a street square somewhere. A million people. It is estimated that an additional two billion people, two billion people, watched it like us on television or on their computers. When you add those numbers up, that is 33% of the entire population of the world. That's a huge number. 33% were watching this wedding of Prince William and, and Kate Middleton. And the question that we really have to ask is why? <laughs> why? <laughs> no, no. It's a good question. I think, I think there's something to it. I, I think it's okay to watch it. And it's, it was glorious and uh, a, a beautiful liturgy and actually a very good sermon, which, well, anyhow, it was a good sermon. <laughs> But the question is why, and the, the fact of the matter is there's something, I think, there's something in royalty that kind of sparks our imagination. I think about my little girls and lots of little girls. I mean, Walt Disney has made a fortune on this princess thing, and this captures imagination. There's something about us that wants to be royal, that wants to be knights or princes or princesses. Even if, when we grow older, there's still, it's still there, and we might kind of turn our nose to it. But there's something there about royalty. And, and this one in particular, Kate Middleton was a commoner in, in British terms. And you, I, I might not totally get it, but a commoner means she, wasn't, she didn't have royal ancestry. By no means, I mean, she, her parents were millionaires, so she wasn't a commoner in, in our understanding of the term. But she was a commoner, and, and she became a princess. A princess. And that is something... It's like a fairy tale that she would become a princess. And so it's captured the imagination of the world. Today we had some baptisms. And I think back a few weeks ago um, after the Alpha Holy Spirit weekend. And one of, our, one of the folks who were baptized came up and said, Well, I, you know, I've had faith, a strong faith for about a year. But I really just felt like I needed to tie the knot with God to tie the knot with God. And it was beautiful imagery because here's this man who had come forward and he, was getting, he got baptized. And so he was tying the knot. He was being married. He was becoming, if you will, a prince. And so we've had two baptisms this morning and we have a prince and a princess in the kingdom of God. The baptism didn't somehow magically make this happen, but faith did. Hannah's faith, her parents' faith for her, Jack's parents' faith, for him, they're making promises for these children to receive when they grow older. Hannah was making a public profession of her own faith. She's a publicly saying, I'm a princess of the Lord. In a little bit, we'll have First Communion. And we'll have these little princes and princesses come up and receive communion. Many of them, it's their first time. For some, it's, it's not. Yet we, it's our 
first celebration of Holy Communion for them. And what they're doing is they're renewing their vows, if you will. Every time we come forward, we're renewing our vows. We're saying, Lord, we accept this royalty that you have bestowed upon us. We accept it. Thank you. Continue to make us a royal people. But the, the wedding and the glory that is revealed um, in the English monarchy, if, 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 if you would have it that way, is nothing, nothing compared to the glorious wedding of God and his people. It is nothing. Imagine, in England we have the king of England, and he's got princes and princesses, but we have the kingdom of all creation. And so we're not just duchess and duke of Cambridge, but we inherit eternal life in Jesus Christ. Eternal life in Jesus Christ. How much better is that? Martin Luther felt that this analogy of a royal wedding was appropriate to discuss the Christian faith. And he said it could be compared to the prince coming down out of his castle and choosing his princess from among the people. But his princess wasn't a millionaire. His princess probably didn't even live in Somerville. His princess was, was a harlot. He chose a harlot off the streets and brought her back to the palace and made her a princess. How glorious is that if we consider that we are that harlot, that we are turning from God, and yet God wants us to be royal and holy and make us prince and princesses in his kingdom. And so we come to our passage in in 1 Peter, and Pam's going to put it up on the screen for us because we're just going to walk through it. And Peter is detailing what it means to be a royal royal, uh, subject, to be in the, the royal family of God. And so the first thing we see here in verse 3, we have blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his mercy, he has caused us to be born again. To be born again. This says new birth in the NIV translation. Here we might recall John's gospel, verse, or chapter 3, verse 2. Nicodemus has come in the night to see Jesus. And he says, Jesus, how can I be saved? How can I be saved? And Jesus says, well, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus rightly asks, well, how the heck am I supposed to do that? I can't crawl back into my mother's womb and be born again. But Jesus says, no, you have to be born by the Spirit. You have to be given new life in the Spirit. And that is certainly what is happening. If we consider Martin Luther's analogy again, he he pulls the harlot in, the prince does, into the, the kingdom, into the palace, She's got to be different. She can't be the same as she always was. She's got to be doing different things. She's going to be dressed differently. She's going to be sitting at the table and saying, please and thank you. No, sir, and yes, sir. Her life has been changed. She's so thankful, and she's going to change how she behaves. It is a totally new birth, a total new life. And so we have new birth in Jesus Christ. And we see here at the end of verse 3 and the beginning of verse 4, we're actually born into something very specific. Something very specific. The first thing, we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Born to a living hope. Outside of Christ, we have no hope. 
Outside of Christ, this life is about all there is. For some, it's, it's a glorious life. Some, there's a lot of rejoicing. For most of us, there's trials and tribulations. But the fact of the matter is, when this life is over, if we have no hope, it ends simply in death. We're all going to die. We're all going to not make it through this life. And those are hard things to think about. And so outside of Christ, we have no hope. But when we are born again, when we are born again in Jesus Christ, we have hope. We have hope of an eternal life, of a life that goes beyond death, of a life that's not a series of random events, but is actually orchestrated by God and Father of all. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be trials. God doesn't bring those upon us, but he gets us through them because Jesus Christ is Lord, because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. That's what it means to have a hope. But it's not just a future hope, it's that, but it's also a present hope. The harlot in the palace now has a hope. She has a hope that she's going to get dinner three times a day. She has a hope that she's going to have a bed to sleep in and shelter. And we have a hope that God is going to be with us here and now in this life. We have a hope, although we don't understand it sometimes, that God will heal. And they get, that God does indeed heal to his glory. We have a hope that God is going to provide us with what we need. He might actually be calling us to do some pretty crazy things. Maybe it's mission work, maybe it's seminary, maybe it's, who knows, stepping out of our comfort zone. But when he does that, we have a hope that he will provide for us. We have a hope in a Lord who loves us. And a Lord who cares for us enough to come down out of his palace and to walk the streets and to die on the cross so that he could bring us off the streets and into the kingdom of God. Praise God for that living hope. The second thing we are, we are born again to, the first one is hope. The second thing in verse 4, we have been born to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us. We have an inheritance. We are children of God. When we are princes and princesses, we're children of God. And so we share in his inheritance. We share in the inheritance of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has been made ruler over all creation, and we share in that. We share in that inheritance, and it's a glorious thing. And the fact of the matter is that God is protecting it for us. It's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, and it's kept in heaven for us. We're not going to lose it. When we've been given faith in Jesus Christ, we've been given this inheritance, and we hang tight. And the inheritance is eternal life, and God will not let it slip from our grasp. He's guarding it and protecting it. And the fact of the matter we see in verse 5, that God is guarding and protecting us. By His power, through faith, He's guarding us and protecting us for our future hope, for our future salvation. It will be revealed to us when Jesus Christ comes again. And so what Peter is insisting is that we that we share in this hope, that we are born again, that our inheritance will not be lost. There's no need to worry 
It has been secured and preserved for us on the cross of Christ. And we are born again. If you think back to the opening song this morning, um, we sang, No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. And that's the truth. And Paul um, certainly testifies to that truth in Romans 8. It's not just Peter. Romans 8, verse 35. Paul says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from this love? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor powers, nor height or depth, nor anything else in all creation shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in all of this, verse 6 in 1 Peter We can rejoice. We can rejoice. (laughs) Now, the reason Peter felt the need to write these things is because he was writing to a suffering church. He knew that their faith was being tested. He knew that their faith was being tried. And he had to speak a word of hope. And the way he does that is by emphasizing the royal character of our hope and our inheritance. When we're born again, when we have new life in Christ, as we've mentioned, that things will change, things will be different. And this was certainly true for the church here that Peter is writing to. Things are different. And so perhaps the friends they once had aren't really sure what to do with these guys that are now Christians. Perhaps there's a little bit of alienation there. Perhaps in the office they're feeling a little bit rejected because now they believe in Jesus. Maybe they're not getting invited to as many parties as they once were. They certainly couldn't go to as many parties. Down the road, the pagan sacrifices and the idol worship were no place for Christians. And so all that probably led to a little bit of a challenge to their faith, to suffering and persecution. And certainly they had to ask the question, is this worth it? Is it worth it? To give up an old life for this new life in Jesus Christ? Peter obviously thinks so. Peter says we've been given the power to endure this hardship. Is it worth it? Yes, it is worth it. So back in verse 6. In this we rejoice. Let's see. What does it say? It says differently. Okay. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor. So what Peter is telling us now is that our faith, this secured by our new birth, that we have hope and inheritance, this faith is going to be tried, but it's more precious than gold because even gold will perish, but this faith will not. 
Certainly we've all been there, facing sickness, stress, and trials. And we've cried out, Lord, do I really believe? Lord, are you really there? Give me a reason to believe in you. Imagine the people right now in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And there's an aerial photograph. I, I can't tell how far it is. It was probably two or three miles and a mile wide of nothing. Houses on one side, houses on another. And these, in the middle, whole neighborhoods are destroyed. People have died. And can you imagine the man walking out from his rubble? And he's probably saying, God, where the heck were you? Where were you? But Peter is saying here that if we have faith that is more precious than gold, it is genuine and eternal, and it will give glory to God. Can you imagine any more glory being given to God than that man walking out of his house and saying, praise God that this is just stuff. Praise God that my loved ones, although this is awful and sad, that they're there with Jesus. Praise God for that. Imagine a hope and a faith like that. Or imagine someone dying of cancer, coming out of their last round of chemo, and weak and sick, and saying, praise God that He has brought me this far. Praise God that I have an eternal hope an eternal salvation that has been secured by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. In the midst of this struggle and this difficulty, Christ is glorified because faithful people can say, praise God in difficult times. And so what we have here finally, closing in 1 Peter, we realize that it's a present hope but ultimately it is a future hope. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. The world can't explain the joy of a suffering Christian. It doesn't make any sense. It's crazy. What are they doing rejoicing in the midst of suffering? But the fact of the matter is, when we've given our faith in the Lord, sure, it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult and we're going to grieve, but we will have a joy that is inexpressible, that's inexpressible that the world cannot even imagine because through the cross of Christ, we have seen the resurrection. And through the resurrection, we've been made part of the royal family. And for that, we have hope. This is an eternal kingdom that will not fade and will not perish. And so what does this mean for us this morning? Well, it means simply that we just cannot forget that we've been chosen by the prince. If you don't remember anything else I've said, just remember that. You've been chosen by the prince, by Jesus Christ. He's the author of our salvation, the ruler of all creations. We'll face trials and struggles, and many people will probably be telling us, you're really not anything special. You're not really that different from anybody else. This life has no meaning. You have no meaning. But when we hear those, we remind ourselves we've been chosen by the prince, and that those are simply lies. For Jack and Hannah, their parents will remind them that they've been chosen by the prince And this world is lying to them. When we come forward to this altar rail 
to receive the Holy Communion, we are reminded that we have been chosen by the Prince. The world is full of lies. So friends, put your hope in Jesus Christ. Put your hope in the Prince who came down from heaven, who let himself go to the cross, who let the Roman guards put nails in his hands and his feet, and who let the Lord of all creation raise him from the dead to give him a new people, a new family of God, so that we could enter into Jesus Christ with a hope and a future and new life. If you would pray with me, please. Lord Jesus, you stretched out your arms of love upon the cross to bring us all within the reach of your saving embrace. Make that known to us. Make that a reality in our lives so that we could go forth from this place rejoicing forever and always. We ask all this in your holy and precious name. Amen.